0: Welcome. It is so good to be here with God's people, to be able to praise, to be able to worship, and to be reminded realistically of the blessings. We have so many blessings, so many privileges, to have the Holy Spirit living in every believer, that alone should shock you every time you think about it. All the way throughout history, the God of gods has been part of mankind. But before Jesus came, before He was crucified, before the day of Pentecost, which were traditionally calling Pentecost Sunday today. Seven weeks after Easter is when the church normally looks at this life-changing event. But it happened. It happened back then, and, and before then... Well, the Holy Spirit was here, the Holy Spirit was active, but the Holy Spirit came upon people at certain times for certain events and then left. To have the privilege of the Holy Spirit living in you before Jesus was an amazing opportunity. But not today. Not today. Today, what happened Thousands of years ago is that it was the right time for the spirit to descend on every believer and the church was born Jesus himself was the one that said right at the end we read some of that scripture hey hey, you know what I'm leaving and the disciples looked at him it's okay it's actually going to be better way better Because I'm just hanging around you. I'm showing you. I'm encouraging you. But when I leave, the Holy Spirit will come and live in you. It will change you. It will empower you. It will convict you. You'll have God living in you. (laughs) Oh, it's a game changer. It was a game changer back in Acts. And it's a game changer today. You know, last week, Sharon and I returned from break. It was a blessing to be able to focus on God, my relationship with him, and my relationship with Sharon. Isaiah 66, too, was one of the verses that I personally meditated on and was a verse that actually focused on the Holy Spirit, the Word, and God's blessing. I put it on the screen for you. But God said this, I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts, who tremble at my word. (laughs) You see, when the Holy Spirit lives in each one of us, he changes us from the inside out, and the focus begins to change. Instead of self-focus, instead of arrogance, what he does is wash those things away and you become more dependent and more others-focused. Then the humility grows. God says, I'm going to bless you, all of you, who listen to the Spirit and become more humble every day. I'm also going to bless those who are contrite, it's a word we don't use often, but but it's a good word. It's a word that means you repent often. It's a word that you understand by seeing how sin hurts you and hurts others. And, and how it messes up God's plan for you. And so when you sin, when you rebel, when I sin, when I rebel, and we repent. And all we do it often, those who are contrite, those who are recognizing. <laughs> you may do it once a day, maybe once an hour, and maybe once every 10 minutes. But the scripture says, I'm going to bless those who listen to the Spirit, and when you're convicted of sin, when the Spirit enlightens you of an attitude or a wrong word a wrong thought, You confess it. Uh, I'm going to bless you, God says, as you listen to the Spirit. And then I'm going to bless you, all those who tremble at his word. That when you open up this book, it is not just an old book. It's not just an important book. But it's God speaking to you and to me. And you begin to tremble. You, You begin to realize that the Almighty is speaking to you. You begin to realize that he's giving you truth and that you just don't treat this with disrespect. But you look at it and you obey it and you tremble before the Almighty. Imagine a church, a family, a movement of people who are listening to the Holy Spirit growing in their humility and their awareness of sin and that they make the word of God a priority. (laughs) That's what happened 2,000 years ago. And it's still happening today. But it was one of those verses that, at least for me, I was able to every day, twice, three, five times a day, go back to this verse and let God just talk to me, and let God just encourage my heart to listen to him. Well, today we begin our study in Philippians. It's a letter written by an incarcerated apostle, <laughs> It's not always good to start off that way But but it was true It was a letter actually to encourage you And to encourage me on our spiritual journey The pace, the pressure, and the realities of life Often squeeze the joy from us Some days and weeks and even months Are very difficult to get through Desperate for joy We try anything new New surroundings New things new experiences, new relationships, but it doesn't take long for the new and for the joy to fade. The apostle Paul understood that ultimate joy doesn't come from anything other than living a vibrant relationship with Jesus. So he wrote Philippians to teach and to encourage this young church This church that was only about 10 years old to rejoice always in spite of difficult life circumstances inside or outside the church. The life that the apostle experienced is still available today. And that's why this letter should rock your boats. Can you imagine when Paul talks about hard times, when, when Paul, as we're going to find out, who is under house arrest, going to write these words, oh, they are coming from a man who has suffered much. Many of you do know Joe, uh, Joe, Paul's history. But I'd like to look at Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 29. And it will just remind us a little bit of what happened to Paul before he even wrote this letter, which will make it so much more amazing because someone who's gone through all of these things and still loves Jesus and still wants to proclaim the message and still understands that the gospel is transforming people. I think if we look at this list, we're going to say, well, I quit. So (laughs) I'm out of here. I'm going to go find a different job. This one doesn't seem to be working out so well. But this is what Paul writes. He was being, at least in the context of this passage, he was being accused of his leadership and poor leadership and that he was, well, a little bit dishonest. And what he was trying to do is just kind of tell the folks at the church of Corinth a little bit, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. I I paid my dues. I've been faithful. God has been working. And look what he says, starting at verse 23. He says, I have served God. I have worked harder and been put in prison more often. Been whipped times without number? Again, it just caught me, like, if I'm getting whipped, I, I would know how many times that would be. You know, like... Well, maybe, and, and he goes on and he says, and face death again and again, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. There was supposed to be one lash less than somebody receiving who would die, who would die. So instead of 40, they gave him 39. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at the sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews as well as the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the city and in the deserts and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers and who are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. I've shivered in the cold, without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then, besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all of the churches. So can we say life was challenging for Paul? And now, at this moment, it's really near the end of his life, he is under house arrest. Probably, most scholars will think, he's already been there four years under house arrest because he wanted to meet with Caesar, under house arrest because he was hoping to gain his freedom. He's been falsely accused. So it was a prisoner brought and sitting in a house with a Roman guard around him. Now, now, granted, this wasn't maximum security, okay? And this wasn't dungeon bad. And You get that idea, right? Dungeon and stocks and, and not seeing light and, and just kind of wasting away. But I got to tell you, think of this in your life. If you've been delayed of doing anything for four years, it could be a health issue. It could be a lack of a job opportunity. It could be, and you fill in the blank, after four years you're going like, what is going on? So Paul, chained, or at least guarded, by the Roman Praetorian Guard for at least four years. I got to believe he, he knew that whatever Caesar would say, it would happen. In other words, would he be given his life, or would his life be snuffed out? I'm sure he didn't feel like this would be a good ra- way to end ministry. But by the end of the letter... It's only four chapters long, the book of Philippians. By the end of the letter, we will all want that kind of faith, endurance, perspective, and attitude that Paul has. His ability to always rejoice. And therefore, that's the name of the series. (laughs) Rejoice. Not just sort of be happy, not just kind of endure. But literally, every believer, no matter what the situation or circumstance, you can rejoice. Well, Rick, are we going to say, like, rejoice about my broken leg? We're going to find out that whatever the circumstance is, we're not, man, broken legs hurt. Hospital visits hurt. Uh, Car crashes hurt. No one is saying, hey, this was so cool to get my face messed up. We're really saying, what is it that we can be joyful about in spite of the situations or the circumstances that you're in? Whether it's because of your uh, poor choices or things you've done, or, or whether it's been somebody else's. It doesn't matter. Let's try and understand the background of this letter before we jump in. Let's get the backstory, story. And we're not going to go into deep history here, but every time you open up the scriptures, it's important for you not to just pluck a verse out and just say, Eh, hey, does that thing? What does that look like? And so we need to just have a little bit of background before we jump in these first eight verses. First of all, Philippi was a Roman colony that mirrored Rome itself. In other words, although this was not Rome, what happened in Philippi looked a whole lot like Rome. Their culture, their religion, their priorities, their practices, they took great pride in it. Uh, they were a thriving city on a major trade route. So hard to see on the screen, I get it. But but what you see is this line back in that first century that this was a major, major road that went through Europe at that time. One thing that's also a little interesting and that is there's no synagogue in Philippi. Now, again, uh, that may not mean a whole lot to you, but you only needed about 10 Jewish believers in order to have a synagogue. This was a most pagan culture. They had not heard of Yahweh very much. They had not understood. And although maybe there were some believers scattered throughout this area, (laughs) there weren't probably many, all right? So we read in the book of Acts that Paul, Silas, and Timothy, all right, these three guys mainly, planted the first European church in Philippi on Paul's second missionary journey. So many of you are familiar with Acts chapter 16. So let me just briefly remind you what that story looks like, all right? Paul is ready to go on this second missionary journey. He wants to go throughout all of the world, planting churches, being able to share the gospel, and then moving around and continually encouraging people. That, that was his bet. That's what he wanted to do. So he started off, but there was a very clear vision and says, hey, I want you to go to Macedonia. So what Paul does, he packs it up. He heads over to Philippi. And when he gets into this city, he had a practice of often going to the synagogue first to, to be able to proclaim the good news that the Messiah has come. Well, there was none. So the next best thing, and I don't know how he knew it, but he goes down to a river where maybe he thought a prayer meeting was going on. And there was. And the scriptures tell us that he meets a lady, a businesswoman a very wealthy businesswoman named Lydia. And he proclaims the gospel to Lydia. Lydia just understands it. It clicks. She receives Christ as Savior. She gets baptized. Oh, this is kind of cool. This is exciting. And the scripture tells that Paul just kind of kept going back to that river and maybe that gathering started to grow. But as he was doing it, one day, there was a demon-possessed slave girl. A slave girl who was demon-possessed. And, and it was odd, and the story goes, that as Paul and his troops were going down, this gal would follow him and just shout truth. Hey, everybody, I just want you to know, this is Paul. He knows Jesus. Listen to him if you want to get saved. Yeah. You know, it's just a little bit odd of a message, you know. But as scriptures tell us, I don't know what upset Paul. Maybe it was a demon-possessed girl saying this, you know. Maybe it was irritating. Maybe I, I don't know. But one day he turned around. In the name of Jesus, he cast out the demon. Most, again, commentators believe at this moment that this gal came to faith. It. it She could have, she might not have, I don't know. But I do know this, is that changed for everybody at this moment. Paul and Silas were tossed into prison. This was the time they were beat with rods. They were tossed in an inner dungeon. Their feet were put in stocks. And it was about midnight after all these beatings in this jail, in this situation, that Paul is thanking God and singing praises oh my word (laughs) like are you serious yeah I am and all of a sudden there's an earthquake all of a sudden all the jail cells opened up all of a sudden the jailer comes running in ready to take his own life because he is responsible for every prisoner there Paul shouts out to him hold it hold it everyone's here At this moment, the jailer, and again, you can read this. What a passage. (laughs) Paul, I've never seen anything like this. What do I do to get saved? And Paul showed the gospel to him. This this Roman citizen slash blue collar slash jail watcher. (laughs) Warden. And he comes to faith. His whole family comes to faith. So this is kind of the background right here. This is where it all started. Then Lydia found out and, and Paul was released. And Lydia said, hey, can you stay here for a few days? And eventually Paul and Silas and the crew left. But there were three conversions with three really different people ethically and economically and spiritually all of them had different backgrounds. But God started this church right there. Now it was 10 years later that Paul, under this house arrest, is writing the letter. His letter is warm and friendly, but his passage uh, and, excuse me, his message of advancing the gospel is still so very, very First and important. His message was clear. His message was impelling. His message was passionate. He loved this church. He did. But before we actually open, let's pray. God, we thank you for Paul. If we're honest, God, we don't get it. Thank you. We don't get it. We don't understand why he went through all the stuff he went through. Uh, Our opinion is Paul was certainly worthy. He was such a good warrior. He was such a a, a man of God. Why? Why the suffering? Why the hurting? Why the restrictions? But God, you knew what was best. This man loved you. This man loved the church. This man loved your word. We pray today, God, as we open up your word, that your spirit would teach us and convict us. We know that we don't get sprinkled with magic dust and all of a sudden mature and all of a sudden walk honorably in every area in our lives. Your spirit patiently chips away. But it all starts with us hearing and listening and responding. And we would ask, your God, that you, and we would do that. We would ask that your spirit, as we've sung, as we've prayed, as we've heard, would be so very active right now, God. We ask that. We know, God, that you are doing a work. Our world is in such turmoil. We, we continue to pray for the, the war in Ukraine and Russia. We pray for the casualties and for the churches and for the families of Uvalde. We know, God, that there continues to be murders and, and injustice. God, we we ask you for strength and that we would be faithful in proclaiming your gospel in spite of the world's situations. We pray for your church. Your church is what you have empowered. Your church is what we understand as the folks who will accomplish your mission. We pray for those in our area, especially Grace Point and Meadowland and Emmanuel. Oh God, we would ask that not only you'd work there, you'd work in our church, you'd work in all those who are opening your word today and trusting you. God, change us, point us in a way, in a place, in a direction that you want us to go. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen. Would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 1? Philippians 1, and we're going to start reading at verse 1. I should listen to me. Okay, here we are. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time, Paul writes, every time, I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests uh, for all of you with joy. And I'm just going to stop there. I, I encourage you to mark your Bibles. I, I, I know some of you don't. You're being very rebellious. But that's Okay. But if you do, mark your Bibles, every time this word joy or joyous or whatever, I just think it'll be really important as you reread this that you go through and, and see that. So highlight it on your screen, do it. Do whatever. But Okay, verse 4. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you. For you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. I would also underline good news every time. It's, it's in there a lot. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. He he starts off with his greeting. Let's look back in in verses 1 and 2. This is a letter from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons, May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Under the inspiration of the Spirit, Paul and Timothy pen this letter. We believe that everything that is in God's Word has been inspired and is there to teach us and reprove us and to encourage us and to strengthen us. This isn't just a couple guys giving their opinion. They start off saying this, they saw themselves as slaves of Christ Jesus. Now maybe some of you have grown up in the church and you've heard this term before. And you've even heard some of God's people refer themselves as slaves of God. But if anyone on the outside or anyone at work and you start talking about slavery... It's a repugnant cultural term. It is something we hate. It's something we despise. And rightly so, we look at the history of this and and we understand the abuse and the horror of especially being a slave in this country. It was terrible. And I think in some ways, this is the challenge of translations of the scripture. Because although this is the word and it ought to be translated this way, if I were translating it, and I don't have a Rick Wager translation at this moment, but if I were, what I would do is probably translate a committed servant. I I probably would. Only because of how distasteful that term really is. But let me just share with you just a little bit. Back then, Paul and Timothy did not think of being slaves, literally bond slaves of Christ Jesus, in anything but positive terms in one or two directions. And let me try to explain that. It is is possible... that Paul understood dulas or slave, in terms of their understanding as a Roman slave. Now, in many cases during the first century, slaves, and, and it's so hard for us to understand, but slaves were a respectable class of people in the first century. He therefore could have viewed himself and Timothy as persons bound over to Jesus Christ, a really good master, owned by God, possessing no rights of their own, totally at the service of their master. And that's maybe even the way that you have heard it often. But doulas, or slave, was used frequently in the Septuagint. That was the Old Testament translation um, that was translated in Greek. And and when those folks translated, they described um, Dulas as a person who was God's special servants. It is possible, therefore, that this title may have quite a different meaning for Paul. Understood in the context of the Old Testament, slave or doulas may have conveyed to Paul the idea of a leader or a prophet, and he may have understood it as a title of esteem to be used to inform his readers that he and Timothy were two of God's select authorities to speak and to act in his name, that they were accredited representatives. If so, Dulas consequently carried for Paul not the thought of unconditional surrender, but the thought that God is acting through him, that he was God's special leader and instrument. The word then actually takes on some new theological meaning in which the emphasis is uh, no longer on the unfree condition of a man, but wholly upon the work and the actions of God, which is pretty cool. These two men were now slaves of Jesus Christ, either seeing Jesus as their master or now seeing themselves as God's chosen instruments. Either way, this was a term of endearment. And that's how they started off. That's how they saw themselves. The scriptures tell us that they were writing to God's holy people, including the leaders. Holy people. Holy is who we are in Christ. Holy is our standing. Anybody that comes to faith in Jesus, puts their trust in Christ, are justified. And when God looks at them, their sins are taken care of and they are holy. It's because of the cross that God sees us holy in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul writes in a different place Even before he, God, made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because it was his, his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. Paul's greeting continues. He says, may God, the Father and the Son, give you an understanding of his grace and experience his peace. Grace is something we don't deserve. Mercy is not given something we do deserve. If you look at peace, peace is contentment in your king's timing and plan. And that's what Paul hopes for, and that's what Paul prays for. Would you, would you understand God's grace and experience his peace? He continues this first part of the letter in verses 3 and 4. And he says this, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. Every time, Paul thinks of them. And again, the situation, he's not running around. He's not planting more churches. He's reflecting a lot. My guess is in his situation, he is not as busy. He's starting to go through the different churches he planted. He's starting to remember the different folks that he had influence over. But what he said was this. When I think of you guys... I thank God for you. Paul also, as we get into this book, will realize and understand that there are issues in the church. There are problems in the church. The church isn't perfect. But he is so grateful for the people. Do you allow troubles or hard times to crush your joy? Uh, Don't misunderstand. When you read through this letter, Paul doesn't overlook the challenges. He doesn't say he enjoys the conflict. He simply says he is able to rejoice in the Lord and trust in his Lord despite the conflict. Paul thanks God for people, not things. And he joyfully makes his request to God for them. Another takeaway here, though, is, is, well, it kind of shouts. Shouts. Paul sees prayer as critical, and praying for others is critical. He prays for a church, a relationship that he literally had that started 10 years ago. He's still remembering what had happened and who was there. Paul prays with joy because of their history. He has done ministry with them. He has seen them respond. And he has also seen others respond. And for the short amount of time that he even was there, he saw fruit. He said, you have been faithful partners with me since the beginning. The beginning when we had the mission of spreading God's good news about Jesus. Jesus. Probably both financially, they invested in him because in chapter four, he talks about thanking them for the financial gifts and also for the practice of spreading this good news. The good news about Jesus is being spread. Now, you're going to read this over and over again, whether you're newer to the Bible or or maybe you've been walking with God for a long time. Sometimes we don't get that excited about the good news. We heard the good news when we were six. We heard the good news when, and you just, but yeah, what's the big deal? As soon as that happens, there should be a bunch of red flags that go up. What is the good news? What is the news that has absolutely changed my whole life, every area of my life? I was lost, and Jesus came, and I'm found. I was destined to be eternally separated from God, and God says, no, by my grace and my mercy, I want to save you. I'm going to provide a way for you to reconnect with me. And I sent Jesus, and he took that penalty. And if you put your faith in him, your life not only will change now, but for all of eternity. That's good news. And this is something that Paul never, ever, ever got tired of. He saw where his life was going. He saw what meaning he had and before Jesus and after Jesus. Everything was different. Now, Paul's confidence in God and his purpose displayed, well, it becomes really clear in verses 5 and 6. Let me read this to you. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who has begun a good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Paul is confident about the church of Philippi because he is confident, listen to this, in God. He is not so confident in the people, but he is confident in God working in the people who is at work in the church, You see, Paul envisioned that good work of spreading the gospel, which God started, and which is now being carried on by the Philippians. And this mission that God has given them will be completed by the time Jesus comes back. That is to say, Paul was certain that the Philippians would never waver in their generosity. And you will see that as we move forward. They would never cease in sharing the good gifts to help spread the gospel until the return of Jesus. But Paul envisions the good work of spreading the good news as something that God did, the Philippians participated in, and that this mission will not stop. How cool is that? He's recognizing that God has been at work, he's recognizing that God's not going to stop working, and that this mission of spreading good news and gospel is a priority and will continue to be the priority. I think that's probably the best way to look at it in the context. Now there's other interpretations of verse 6 such as those that apply its word to a more comprehensive work of grace in the hearts of the believers affecting both their inner disposition and their outward activity. I think It can be applied in that way, but I honestly believe that that's a secondary meaning, and it just can't, in light of the context, be the primary. So Paul then just says, you guys have a special place in my heart. Look at verses 7 and 8. So it is right that I should feel I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you, how much I long for you just to be with you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. They have been faithful to Paul in prison, providing for his needs, as again, specifically we'll find out later they 've been faithful to Paul in defending and confirming the good news the mission God has given Paul a special love for them and a longing to be reunited with them. Now, as I close this up as i as I wrap up this this introduction and first few verses, we will learn that the, that Paul the apostle knew the Lord well and that his Relationship was intentional. He was able to do things and have perspective that so many of us don't have because he has spent time with God. And we're going to continue to encourage you as followers of Jesus to do that very thing and help you in every way to do it. But it is remarkable that Paul is filled with joy in prison, that he can focus on other people, that he can pray for ministries and not be woeing about his condition or moaning about his condition. It is amazing. I find this both inspiring and convicting. Do you think you need something other than Jesus to find real joy? better behaved kids, a better job, a better boss, a different address, more vacation time. In America, we often think bigger is the answer. (laughs) Not in most other places in the world, but here. A bigger house or bigger muscles or bigger church but what we really need, I think, is we're going to dig in here, is a bigger image of God. A bigger vision of God. Because nothing else will give you or me ultimate joy. You see, Paul is confident that the gospel will go out. He is he is going to encourage people who proclaim the gospel to rejoice in no matter what the situation but the exciting part is as he understands the impact of the gospel and the joy it literally brings you and me for bringing it all right he hands it over to the church us the body of christ to go out and proclaim and to give people the good news. What a blessing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We do. (laughs) We are overwhelmed by your grace. We are overwhelmed by your mercy. We don't understand at all why you choose us to be your messengers. We don't. We feel more at times like failures. And we don't listen to you or respond to you as quickly as we ought. But you love us. You do. And you want us to listen to you. You've given us the Holy Spirit. You've allowed us, I guess, the privilege of responding. And now we can be your messengers. Oh God, do a work. Do a work first in us. And then do a work through us. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.